Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is high. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Welcome into the Nightcap here on WGR. Happy Friday. As we roll along into a Bills game day weekend, they take on the Denver Broncos tomorrow at 1 p.m. at Highmark Stadium. Welcome into the nightcap again. Where do I want to go tonight? I put up on Twitter, I want to talk a little bit about tomorrow's game. Of course, we're getting starters for the Bills. That, of course, is important. But I do also want to talk about the Manti Teo documentary on Netflix that came out. I, I actually don't know... If it came out this week, I think it came out this week, but I just watched it today. Um, it was it was very eye opening, and I and I do kind of want to jump into it a little bit just because it did sort of bring me back to like that year twenty twelve and and hearing about it and some of the jokes even I personally made at, at, at a little bit at Manti Teo's expense and now you know older looking back on that and then getting you know Manti's side of the story, his actual you know the person who catfished him, their side of the story. It was very, very eye-opening. And then I also want to talk about Lamar Jackson tonight as well, because if you've heard uh, Steve Young's comments either last night or today uh, throughout the you know the day on the station, you'll know kind of what he's talking about. But we'll, we'll, we'll jump into that at some point tonight. But I do want to start off with the Bills as they take on the Denver Broncos tomorrow at 1 p.m. at Highmark Stadium. We do have a preseason game kicking off on NFL Network in probably just a few minutes, the Carolina Panthers and the New England Patriots. For the Panthers, for the first and third quarter, we'll have P.J. Walker starting, and in the second and the fourth, rookie Matt Corral will get the offense. We're going to start there, actually, because I, I have my opinions on that. I just don't I don't understand it. I don't, I don't get what Matt Rule is doing in Carolina almost at all. I, like, I wish I did. I liked Matt Rule coming out of Baylor. The work he did at Temple and Baylor both was spectacular, and it really made you think he could be a guy that could turn NFL programs around because he had done so for two college programs, two of which that had dealt with in Baylor just the worst sort of, not sanctions, but just the optics of taking that Baylor job after Art Bryles was a disaster, a nightmare. No one wanted to do it, and he really brought Baylor back to relevancy and then with Temple, just Temple football just hadn't really been a thing for a long time, and he did the exact same thing. Obviously, the circumstances there weren't as you know dire as you know post Art Bryles Baylor, but you know Temple football was not what it used to be, and he brought back both you know a sense of relevancy to the landscape of college football. But his his seeming handle of the Carolina Panthers has been 
a disaster. It's been a joke, and I I just don't understand your quarterback competition, which is you know over at this point, is between Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold. But even then, Baker still needs to get reps with the first team. Baker is not a superstar quarterback like a Tom Brady or an Aaron Rodgers or even a Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes, and even those guys are getting starts. Baker's gotten one start with this offense in terms of him you know, starting the game and, and playing with the first-team offense. And I'm just going to go to his stats real quick. I don't think he played all that very long either. They played Washington. If the app can load, that's going to be an exciting, exciting venture. But... He didn't necessarily do anything that wowed you that made you sit there and go, oh, I mean, they're, you know, they don't need to play Baker anymore during the preseason. That is over with and done. You know, why, why even you know, throw him back out there? He is absolutely within the realm of getting thrown back out there. Especially when you're Matt Rule and you need to sort of figure it out. Yeah, he, he went four for seven, 45 yards. So he probably had a series or two. We saw a very similar stat line from Justin Fields the last two games for the Bears. And he got you know two series the first game, one series yesterday against the Seattle Seahawks. He needs more reps. And even now in practice, it was the same thing of P.J. Walker was like getting reps with the first-team offense. Why? What is going on there? And this is and this is you know with a team with a new owner who's you know outwardly aggressive. He is here to win playoff games, to try to win championships. And Matt Rule is just going about this in just the worst. And and now I'm starting to realize in the NFL especially, there is a coach every year going into the season that should have been fired or you wouldn't have at least batted your eye if they were. And in that offseason, they just do some of the wildest things you've ever seen. A few years ago, it was Bill O'Brien with the Houston Texans where it was just the trades that he was making now that he had you know supreme power in Houston was just mind-boggling, of course. DeAndre Hopkins being the main one, but you know what he got for him was you know some running backs who were backup guys and stuff like that. And it just it made literally no sense. Then last year was Urban Meyer. He gets hired and immediately decided to just make a fool of himself. The Team Tebow saga. I just I, and the reason I'm bringing up Urban Meyer as well. Just, he's going back to Fox Sports to be one of their college football analysts. Which cool, I guess. I like. I think football as a whole should have taken like a year or two off from Urban Meyer because last year was a, a a true definition of a train wreck. I mean, there there's really no other way to put it because like I just I you know he brings in Tim Tebow to be a tight end instead of bringing in an actual NFL talent at tight end, a position that they did have some need at. It wasn't like you know they had a guy you know looking at the Bills, a Dawson Knox, where you're like, okay, one is clearly secure. They didn't. They they could have had a genuine competition there at tight end. He brings in Tim Tebow. It was a complete joke. Some in the media tried to like spin it as, well, he's looking out for his young quarterback. He's got a lot of spotlight on him. You know, bring in Tebow because it'll take the spotlight off of him. He's throwing a bone to one of his old guys. Like, no, stop. What is going on here? And now this year, it seems to be Matt Rule, who just at every turn seems to just make wilder and wilder decisions with a Panthers team that I've brought up a, a, a few times on the show. I think actually could be. An interesting team, especially in the NFC, where there isn't a clear-cut, I think, top dog. Tampa's dealing with injuries, especially at the interior of their offensive line. Tom Brady does not like getting hit. He does get very skittish. We've heard a lot of NFL reporters even saying that, that he gets skittish with bad protection on the interior. It's one of the few things not overly talked about in the New England dynasty, which is their consistently good offensive line play, if not great offensive line play. He likely won't have that. 
this year in Tampa Bay. They've lost a lot of guys in that interior, and that could cause a ton of issues for him. So Carolina, if Baker Mayfield you know, can kind of find his groove and play a little bit like his rookie year or the year Cleveland went to the playoffs, Carolina could be a sneaky team that is you know, hovering around 9, 10, maybe even 11 wins. Because I like their young defense. J.C. Horn is probably playing tonight the, the second-year cornerback. He looked spectacular to start the year. Missed most of his rookie year, though, with a foot injury. Hopefully, he'll get back on it. But, you know, you got him, Jeremy Chin. Brian Burns is someone I've really brought up because I think he, in his fourth season, is teetering towards a big jump in his sack production. He's had two straight years of nine-plus sacks. I think he's going to get past that and get into double digits this year. So that could be interesting to watch. And I didn't hate the addition of Baker Mayfield. I really didn't. Because I thought Baker Mayfield could add just that little bit more to a Carolina offense that at times, yes, they have a guy like Christian McCaffrey who can really, really do a ton for your offense. But they just they didn't have quarterback play. They really didn't. And Sam Darnold, who I, you know, I'll say I, I, I like Sam Darnold in 2018. That was probably the quarterback I fell in love with the fastest. I still remember that Rose Bowl, I want to say, in 2016. Yeah, because then he had the 2017 season. So 2016 Rose Bowl against Penn State, I thought Sam Darnold was amazing in that game. I just wanted to see him in a Bills jersey. So, I, you know, a part of me, you know, still with that little bit of, you know, maybe the Jets totally screwed him up. Like, maybe there's still something salvageable there. And, you know, Joe Brady was going there. And I was a huge Joe Brady fan for his year at LSU. So there was a lot for me to like about Carolina. And it just all disappointed. Every single bit of it was a disappointment. I'm glad Joe Brady's on the Bills coaching staff. But I, I do like that he is a quarterback's coach. He's going to be able to kind of bring himself more into the NFL slowly rather than, you know, a very aggressive rise for Brady going from you know kind of a quarterback coach slash offensive consultant at LSU to you know offensive coordinator for an NFL team and an NFL team that did not have you know boatloads of talent but Carolina is just it's a fascinating situation that I just I don't I don't know what's going on I said it today I think Matt rules out by November because I think it's going to be one of those of they're just going to want to be maybe the first team out that out of the gate that can just all right, who who are we going to hire as a head coach? Who are we looking at? Let's make sure we get like all of the you know top end assistants, you know, in our rolodex and all that stuff, and, and get and get firing once the season's over with. I think they're going to be that team this year. You know, Jacksonville was kind of that team last year that you know they they jumped on Doug Peterson as quickly as humanly possible. So yeah, I mean, call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. It's, that's how I see it. I just I don't understand Carolina, but I still think they're a team that that has talented to be a sneaky team this year. I, I really, really do. Going back to the Bills, though, 
Uh, of course, they're playing uh, the Denver Broncos tomorrow, 1 p.m. at Highmark Stadium. It's Kids Day. Very exciting. Kids Day was also, I think, maybe the first game I went to as a Bills fan. I mean, you know, when I was a you know, little nugget that I went, oh, man, maybe seven or eight years old. I went to probably a preseason game. It, t- it took a few years for me to go to a regular season game. But with the starters playing, I've seen a lot of teams have their starters play, at least a lot of them. If, if they're not hurt, they're kind of out there. And a lot of good teams are doing it, namely Kansas City. But I just get me to halftime. I am going to be a mess until they get to halftime. Just I don't want anyone hurt, even if it's a little knock. I don't want that whole holding my breath moment of, man, is the season over with before it even began. And Josh isn't the only player that I'll somewhat have that feeling about. And that's what makes me nervous is because the expectations are so high, that means that there's a ton of talented players on the Bills. That's that's what that means. It's not just quarterback. It's it's a lot of the guys. And with you know the fact that Tredavious White, we don't really know when he's coming back. I just I don't like the optics of this team not necessarily having a ton of their big pieces because a few of them had to play in a preseason game. Now I will say this. I do imagine this is the only preseason game a lot of the starters play. And I do agree with the point of, will they have a new offensive coordinator, get into a game scenario, let's work out the kinks before game one against the Rams. I can understand that response. And and to be fair, that's like one of the ones that I can listen to and go, okay, you know what? I'm, fi- I'm fine with that. I can deal with that. That's okay. I'm more than okay with that. Because that is fair. You know, with, with Ken Dorsey, you can work out a lot of your issues in practice, but, you know, Dorsey has been somebody that is open about the fact that he's still trying to get used to being up in the box and not down at field level. He's still trying to get used to that. So I, I'm okay with it. I, I can understand that, and I'm okay, and I can deal with that. But when I do hear healthy amount and not, like, an exact number, I'm, like, praying that, you know, I can tweet out on the WGR account tomorrow that after the first series, Case Keenum is in at quarterback just because Josh is sitting down, put on his bucket hat, and he's hanging out. That's and and we can start working working more and more players off the field after like the first series. I I can't tell you for as little as it matters in a preseason game. I cannot tell you how much I hope the Bills march down the field in like eight plays, score a touchdown, the offense looks spectacular, and everyone's pulled. And you're just like, all right, done, love it, good. Don't have to worry about anything now. That's all I want. Just to so everybody can relax. The fans and the people who wanted the Bills starters to play at least a game or two are satisfied. And the fans who really didn't want it and just want everyone to get out healthy are satisfied. Everyone leaves. We're all good. We're done. That's what I want. Because, yes, probably the third preseason game is really just going to be – it's not a dress rehearsal. But when there was four games, the third game used to be the dress rehearsal game. I think that's now somewhat become the second, but also – if you're a team that plays your starters, it does seem to be that you just kind of sprinkle that in. You kind of figure out which game you want to do it against. And I'm okay with that. That's fine with me. I have no issues with that. I don't imagine Kansas City will play a ton of their starters this week just because they did last week. But I also could be completely wrong on that end. We'll find out. I will tell you, though, New England is playing their starters tonight against the Carolina Panthers. 
This is something I think especially I've been saying, and it, and it goes along to the point of you know some people with the Bills saying, well, they have a new offensive coordinator, they got to work out the kinks. And and as I said, I can agree with that point. That point I can get behind and I can deal with it. It's one of those where I'm not happy, but in any good negotiation, no one really leaves 100% happy, right? So with that, I wouldn't be 100% happy, but I'll deal with it and I'll be okay with it. New England is one of those teams I really thought they should have played their starters for a few games. Because I, all the reports you heard on the Patriots offense in camp was, it's not good, it looks really bad, there's no flow, there's no consistency, blah, 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 blah. They didn't play their starters last week, and even now they just, I, I believe, went three and out. Mac Jones just got sacked. But it is because you know the offensive line is going through it. The wide receiving core is not good. We had Connor Rogers on today. Uh, SNY and Bleacher Report, he came on with Show the Bulldog today. And, you know, he agrees with me and Bulldog, Bulldog especially, where we just, the Patriots aren't good. Like, I think a lot of people really are expecting them to take a step back. But there's also this fear of, well, you know, it's a Bill Belichick-run team. They'll be fine. They'll be stingy. They'll be annoying. And to a certain extent, I can agree with that. I can kind of get behind where you're coming from with that. But then I'm also like, but they have to have some levels of talent. Patriots teams, even with their low levels of talent throughout their years, when like when it was a, a dip in quality, still had something there for you to think, all right, well, at least that unit's good. At least that unit, you know, is going to be, you know, one of the top halves of the NFL. They don't have that this year. And their quarterback and Mac Jones, I I fully agree with a lot of people on the station. I think we've seen the best of Mac Jones, that we've already seen both the floor and the ceiling, because he got worse as the year went on. At the start of the year, he played pretty darn well. But by the end of it, Davis Mills was putting up better numbers on Houston. On Houston! A team that limped into the season with basically a pariah of a team going, I, I, we have to show up. There has to be 32 teams in the NFL. We don't really want to. This year, they seemingly are acting like, all right, we may, you know, we may show up. There's a few guys on that roster, especially the young guys that might be pretty good. Damon Pierce, running back that they got in this year's draft, could be pretty interesting. I'm, I'm you know, excited to see him. But last year, they really showed up, and Davis Mills had a number of games where you're like, oh, okay, that's interesting. He had some bad games, namely the Bills game and, you know, hurricane-level rain where he, I, I, think, well, I want to say four picks, three, four picks, looked terrible. But then against New England, against, you know, the vaunted Bill Belichick teams that, you know, typically just dominate young quarterbacks, he went off 300 yards, three touchdowns, looked great. Then, of course, there were other guys, other rookie quarterbacks, like Zach Wilson, who threw four picks and five passes. That's not ideal. But... The aura of Belichick, to me, has lessened significantly. I've said that a number of times on the station. And, and really, until I'm proven wrong, that's where I'm going to sit. On New England, that is where I'm going to sit. That the aura of the Patriots is gone. It's in Tampa. It's Tom Brady. And like I said, he's not there anymore. He's in Tampa. Well, not in Tampa currently. We're not totally sure what's going on there. Hopefully nothing negative. I, I, we, we poke fun at you know the Mass Singer and, and stuff like that. I do hope it's just something that, you know... We can all poke fun at nothing serious, but it was apparently planned, so I imagine it's nothing you know too crazy. But both Carolina and the Patriots, it, it's funny that this is the game on because I have 
huge issues with both teams, and I do want to watch both teams. And, you know, as I'm doing the show, I'm obviously kind of checking out the game as well. I want to see Matt Corral play quarterback. You know, I liked him at Ole Miss. I'm excited to watch him in the second and fourth quarter. That should be fun. But with the Bills, and you're going to hear this a lot, I would imagine, tomorrow with Nate and Derek, who are doing the pregame, just stay healthy. You know, we saw a lot from the rookies last week. I'd like to see a little bit more from guys like James Cook. And that's about it. I, you know, I'd like to see James Cook more, but I think clearly from what they showed last week is they have a huge plan for him to be a major co- contributor to them because he touched the ball three times, and one of them was a kickoff return. So, I mean, what else can I ask from the team in terms of preseason? I think now I just, you know, show me some of these depth guys, the rookies, and some depth guys, and, and stay healthy. You know, that's, that's kind of where I'm at with the Bills. If the Bills' offense looks a little shaky, okay, all right. I don't expect them to look perfect in preseason. I don't. I don't think any offenses look per- perfect so far in this preseason. I, no one has made you go, oh, wow, look at them. They're coming in this year. Nobody. Now, I have heard also the argument, too, that, well, the Bills only played one preseason game last year. They came in against Pittsburgh, and they look stale. I don't know if they necessarily look stale or they look bad. I, I think they just came in with the, just the wrong game plan. 11 personnel, 5 wide, they really never really, they didn't do that much anymore after that Pittsburgh game. I think they realized, all right, that works in, you know, spurts, but not as a full-time go. And so they fixed that, and they rarely did that the rest of the season in terms of a full-time role. Now, before we hit our first break, I do want to talk about Lamar Jackson and Steve Young's comments in, in, in particular. Because I don't think it'll come to too much of a surprise if you've listened to me talk about Jackson or really the young quarterbacks in the NFL. I like Lamar. I really do. I think he's a spectacular athlete. I think he's the closest thing we've gotten to Randall Cunningham since Cunningham. I I loved Vic as a player, but he was never nearly the passer of both Cunningham or Jackson. He had a big arm, but Virginia Tech didn't even really use him as a quarterback. Lamar Jackson, to me was a quarterback at Louisville. Randall Cunningham was a quarterback at UNLV. But I think both of them, and I think that's where it's it's almost, you know, it's almost a mere image that both in their NFL careers have been treated wrongly by their teams that they were drafted to. Randall Cunningham has one truly great passing year with the Eagles. I want to say 91. He has 30 touchdown passes, almost 4,000 yards, does his normal rushing thing, and he's great. And he could have won the MVP of the NFL. I want to say he came in second. Lamar Jackson, in his second year, wins the NFL MVP. Just barely over 3,000 passing yards, but 36 touchdown passes and an NFL record in rushing yards, well over 1,200. But both have been put on teams that seemingly ignore the full potential that they could have, which is just, for me, always stunning to see from a team that seemingly ignores the potential a certain player has because they want to fit you know, square into a round hole. That's effectively what this is. With Cunningham, he got burned because Buddy Ryan was his head coach. I like Buddy Ryan. I'm not a big Mike Dicka fan at all. Truthfully, I think he's one of the most overrated coaches in National Football League history and in in pro sports history because I think Buddy Ryan made those Bears teams what they were. I think the offense just limped around thanks to Walter Payton being maybe the greatest football player of all time. Just listen to any interview that they have of those Bears teams. I... There's like maybe two of them that even speak kindly about Dicka, but that defense would have died for Buddy Ryan. But in that sense, Buddy Ryan himself 
barely cared about offense. And when he became the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, he very much ignored that side of the ball and never tried to develop Randall Cunningham in the 90s, which, you know, in 84, we'd had a quarterback throw for 48 touchdown passes in Dan Marino. Joe Montana himself was a guy that could obviously was throwing the ball well. At that point, John Elway had kind of developed himself into that guy. And Randall Cunningham just kind of was, you know, a plastic man, the best athlete to ever, you know, put on a football jersey and play quarterback at that point, but just never developed his passing game even a little bit. And his passing game was really only developed as just he played in the NFL and kind of just kept learning and kind of did it himself so that when, you know, he played for the Vikings in 98, after taking a year off of football, he has one of the best quarterback seasons of all time. And, you know, Randy Moss and Chris Carter, and it's one of the greatest offensive performances ever that Viking season in 98 when they go 15-1 and or 14-2 and and are just spectacular. They're unbelievable. And a lot of it is just Randall Cunningham throwing deep bombs, just being unbelievable with those two wide receivers. And even then, you can make a, a genuine argument that, hmm, was was it Cunningham playing well or was it two Hall of Fame receivers, one of which, to me, is the second greatest receiver of all time, only behind Jerry Rice. Randy Moss was different in every sense of that word. Just He was untouchable at his prime, and his prime was his rookie year till basically the end of it. I mean, even in New England, when it seemed like everyone thought he was done, he goes in and has the greatest wide receiver season, full wide receiver season ever. And I'm worried Lamar Jackson is falling into that as well. But I think unlike Randall, he's in a very different NFL, an NFL with more agency given to players. I think that's a big reason why, yes, he doesn't have an agent, and this is now more personal because of that fact. I think because it's so personal that Lamar knows the secrets and you know the deep, dark secrets of the Ravens in terms of what they're doing on offense, why they're keeping Greg Roman around and all that stuff. And he also knows why Hollywood Brown is gone. I've seen some people, like after the Steve Young thing, think that Hollywood Brown left because of Lamar Jackson. I'm pretty sure he openly said he didn't like the offensive philosophy. It was never Lamar. Lamar and him had a great connection. Hollywood Brown, until he got hurt last year, was one of the better receivers in football. Over 1,000 yards, I think seven or eight touchdowns, and he missed like six games. He was awesome. Now he's in Arizona. We'll see how that goes with Kyler Murray, now especially with DeAndre Hopkins out for six games. But I am worried that Lamar is going to fall into that same trap. And he's not as big as Randall. Randall was like, you know, 6'5", 220. Not only was he fast, he was big. Lamar has bulked up, you know, as we see reports in the media. But he's not, you know, this behemoth of a human being like Josh Allen. He, you know, he is slender. Not anything to, you know, a concerning extent. But he's not as big. So you do worry that you know if they keep running him like they are, he is just gonna he's gonna he's gonna fall apart. But as well, Lamar knows, and I and I brought this up last night. He would destroy the open market. He would be unbelievable. And now with all the agency you have, teams can of course franchise tag you twice. Why would they? Just so you can walk in free agency, they can hope they 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 talk you back into it. I've seen people bring up the idea that because Lamar has won so much in the regular season, the Ravens have, in fact, set him up for success. I am not a fan of Greg Roman in the slightest. I think he runs a very, very good running game that can get figured out pretty quickly into an NFL season. And they take advantage of bad teams just not having the players to deal with that. 
But if anyone, and I mean anyone, punches them in the mouth, they don't know what to do. And for a long time, that was on Lamar. That people were like, well, you know, get him from behind. They can't come back. That's on Lamar. To a certain extent, yes. But then we started to see that Lamar could come back down a deficit. He did against the Colts last year, and he's done it a few more times since. It's more because Greg Roman cannot call a modern passing game. And I do think the Ravens, with the greatest offensive player they've ever drafted, are going to screw it up because out of nowhere, a very forward-thinking team in the Baltimore Ravens, a team that always seemed to find a gem in the draft, just completely fell apart when this guy fell to them at 32 overall. Lamar should have been nowhere near 32nd overall in the draft, but he was, and it fell right to him. And I think they're going to screw it up. I, I, I am someone I do believe Lamar Jackson could ask for a trade out of Baltimore because teams like Philadelphia, if Jalen Hurts doesn't work, has all the talent in the world and have gotten first-round picks to potentially trade up for a quarterback in next year's draft. Miami, if they had one of their picks, if they didn't damper, could have absolutely fallen into Lamar Jackson. The Raiders, they finish fourth and all of a sudden decide, yeah, Derek Carr's not our guy. Now all of a sudden you could do a swap. Derek Carr goes to Baltimore. They trade him like a first or second, first and two firsts or second, whatever it is, and get Lamar. That could be interesting. Seattle could go for him and try to just do this quick rebuild that they think they have. Baltimore is on the verge of screwing all that up because they went from one of the most forward-thinking teams in the NFL and overnight, it seems, have completely dropped the ball on that. We're going to take a quick time out and we come back. The Manti Teo documentary on Netflix. I finished it before I came to work today. I got to talk about it and how I feel not only about Manti Teo, but how the media covered it and how fans of football really reacted to that story. We'll talk about that when we come back here on the Nightcap on WGR. Welcome back to the Nightcap here on WGR. Zach Jones along with you. We're talking a little bit of Bills football here, and also Lamar Jackson. Have the, have the Baltimore Ravens set him up for success? Is Lamar a top-tier quarterback or not? Or have this, you know, the Ravens kind of botched this a little bit? What's going on there? And we are going to get to the phones real quick. We're going to get connected to our fans, brought to you by the law firm of Gelber and O'Connell. They take your personal injury cases personally. Jordan, welcome to the Nightcap. What you got for me, man? Uh, I agree with some of what you said about Lamar Jackson. He is a really good quarterback, but do I uh, think he's an elite quarterback? No. Um, I feel like with Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Pat Mahomes, uh, these type of quarterbacks, uh, it's impossible to make a uh, game plan to stop these guys because they go through their progressions and they can hit, you know, any which of uh, their top three receivers and their tight end, which Lamar Jackson, he's an elite athlete. He's not an elite passer. And uh, I really feel like the Bills exposed him in that playoff game by not blitzing him, not giving him the ability to take off, uh, just containing him with their defensive ends. Uh, he was forced to make reads, and he couldn't do it. And uh, I think with these uh, elite athletes, once you um, – force them to throw and not use their legs. They get confused and they can't get the job done. All right. Thanks, Jordan. 
I, you know, I, I guess my thing with, with Lamar, I, I do agree with a lot of people when they say he's not an elite passer. I think he's inconsistent. I, I, I genuinely do believe that. I think he, he has moments where he is brilliant. I go back to his MVP season, that opening game against the Dolphins. He was electric, over 300 passing yards, five touchdowns. He was phenomenal. He was untouchable. He had moments last year. Uh, I want to say against the Raiders, he was spectacular with his arm. Indianapolis, I mentioned uh, before we went to break last segment, he was awesome. My issue, and and you brought up a lot of them, Jordan. Thank you for the call, by the way. You know, the Herberts, the Mahomes, the Allens, the Burroughs. What's the one difference they all have compared to Lamar Jackson? Arm talent, sure. It's how their team has treated them. Herbert has now two of the highest paid receivers in football. Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, that kept adding for him. And he has a coach who just keeps him on the field all the time. It could be 4th and 15. There's a chance the Chargers are going for it. They have a modern passing game, even with Staley being a defensive coach. Allen, it's the same thing. McDermott may be a defensive coach, but him and Dable worked out a passing scheme where they throw it all over the field. And not only that, they traded for a top-end wide receiver. They saw what one of their issues was. And let's remember, when they traded for Stephon Diggs, it was not known if Josh Allen really could be a passing quarterback. Up to that point through two years, Allen's most dangerous weapon was his legs. But they get Diggs, they kept developing him as a passer, and we see the year three and year four Josh Allen that we've had the last two years. Joe Burrow? Burrow was kind of a different breed. He was being treated as an NFL quarterback his senior season at LSU, but he also has maybe, in my opinion, the best receiving room in the NFL that allows him to pass. They are constantly pushing how far they can go when, when, it term, when in terms of passing the ball. And then Andy Reid with, with Patrick Mahomes. I, it, there's very, very little that has to be said there. I mean, that's one of the most forward-thinking offenses ever. They also all have high-end, top-end wide receivers, along with you know potentially a top-end tight end or other playmakers. Lamar has Mark, Mark Andrews, and for a season he had a really good Hollywood Brown, but for Hollywood Brown's first year he was okay at best, but nothing great. The Baltimore Ravens have consistently tried to use Lamar as just an athlete, just be really fast, throw the ball sometimes, but we're really asking you to just kind of like get a first down the easiest way possible. Which, of course, because he is absurdly fast and he is a great athlete, is probably running. But if they had developed his passing game like the Bills have with Josh Allen, like Patch Mahomes has been developed by Kansas City, like Burrow with Cincinnati, like Herbert with L.A., then there wouldn't be an easy way to game plan against him. Because that's the thing with Josh in his first two years, if you take away his legs, he wasn't beating with his arm. He couldn't throw a 300-yard football game until his third year. Some of that was, of course, due to he didn't have great receivers. The rookie year to second year jump, I mean, he had to essentially had to have a whole new wide receiver room. But that's why it's become somewhat, I, I'm putting in quotations, easy to stop Lamar, you know, easy to game plan against him. You still have to have the athletes to do so. It's why that when they get in the playoffs, their offense looks gimmicky, because it is. It is just essentially run the ball. Use different running backs and, and, and lanes to run the ball. And use Lamar as the ultimate decoy slash secret weapon to really facilitate all of that. 
But if they had developed his passing game from year one to year two, because remember, his first year, they made the playoffs, but they really just asked him to run. He was not really meant to throw the ball much his rookie year. Just they completely tooled the offense around that aspect of what Lamar could do. Because he was a rookie, he was raw, and they and they had to keep pushing forward. Because I think it's forgotten about that John Harbaugh that first year, not necessarily in the hot seat, but definitely was teetering towards that. So they just make the playoffs, we've got our guy pushed forward, and they formulated an offense with Greg Roman, who they elevated to OC from running back co- coordinator, or running game coordinator, they elevated him and they just zeroed in on that one aspect. And it seems like they've streamlined too much towards that. They have not outwardly developed. And that's ultimately my problem. I agree, at this point, Lamar is not a consistent passer. He cannot beat you with just his arm. And I fault that all too coaching. Allen, we all know, go, you know, went out with Jordan Palmer in the offseason and did great and blah, 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 blah. Jordan Palmer's also taking on guys like Kyle Allen and Sam Darnold. It's not like he's a miracle worker. At a certain point, you also have to have good coaching around you. You have to have a team that is willing to essentially, you know, really, really care for your development. Really care to an unhealthy obsession. They have to. And the Baltimore Ravens have not. And it continued with this offseason of trading Hollywood Brown and not even remotely trying to replace him in the draft. They traded him draft night. You would have imagined, well, in the loaded wide receiver class, they're, they're going to take somebody. They didn't. They just moved right along. We're going to have Rashad Bateman. We're going to have all of our running backs back, and we're going to have Mark Andrews. You can't tell me that's helping out a, a quarterback. And I, I, I fight back on the he's not an elite quarterback. You don't just fall into an MVP. You, you don't just fall into that. Russell Wilson, for as great as he has been, has still never won one. Josh, the last two years, has been spectacular, has not won one. Mahomes only has one. I think we have gotten to a point where maybe this is Lamar Jackson, right? I think think you can make an argument that maybe Baltimore missed the train on that. But I think other teams around the NFL are looking at what Baltimore is doing with Lamar and realizing, man, they're getting 50% of what he can be. Steve Young went out there and said, I think he can be the greatest player player at that position, or he can be the greatest, you know, physical specimen at that position. And I I push back on that a little bit. I think guys like Allen and Herbert with the size along with the speed and the arm talent in terms of physical specimen are probably closer to that. Mahomes' arm talent is, is just a, a wild. So I think but Lamar could be in that category. But like I brought up with Randall Cunningham, they're not they were not handled correctly at all because teams got lazy and zeroed in on one aspect of their game and that was it and that's all that they were and it has led to just missed potential and missed opportunities for me and as a Bills fan couldn't be happier could not could not be happier it makes our lives so much easier because it's one other great team that you can just done we're good because the Bills have have had an answer for Lamar they don't have to cover receivers. Or at least there's no good receiver there that can challenge an all-pro backfield of safeties and corners. But that has not – it has to evolve. It has to, or you're wasting the best offensive player you've ever drafted. We got some tweets on this. I, I put out on Twitter, have the Baltimore Ravens set up Lamar Jackson for long-term success? Because in the short term, they've got success. They have 
you know, the number one overall, the number one seed in the AFC. They've got an MVP out of them, all that stuff. We've got a few responses. Buffalo Nats fan tweeted in and says, not with the 1970s offense they run. Steven tweets in, nope. I mean, that's, I think it's as simple as that. They run a 1970s offense and just, no, just straight up no. You can't look at what they've done over the past few years and really sit there and go, oh, they've done great. We've gone now through two off seasons of most people in the media, in Baltimore's media, in the national media, just fans sitting there going, well, I mean, the Ravens got to add a receiver, right? I mean, Devontae Adams is on the market. They probably should add a receiver, and they don't. Instead, they got rid of the one good one they had because he was mad at the offensive system. I almost think, I've had this theory running around in my head, and I'm going to share it now. I think Lamar Jackson is almost his architect of his own destruction. Being as good as he is, the fact that he is able to beat up on teams in the regular season, a lot of bad teams, a lot of mediocre teams that just, you know, they can't keep up with the run game they have, has allowed Greg Roman to keep his job. And I've been told a story, you know, since I, you know, basically since I was born, that in the 90s, the Bills had an offensive line coach and, or they had a a defensive coordinator and eventually got to a point where Bruce Smith or somebody basically was like, you know, nobody tackle anybody. I want that guy fired. You know, whatever it is. You know, the the wise tales of stories, you know, the, the urban myths. But along those lines of, I want this guy fired, no one do their job. That's kind of where I feel like the Ravens offense has to go to, to save themselves. That no one do their jobs, we need Roman out. You've already had one of your star receivers, because I think Hollywood Brown this year with Kyler Murray could really establish himself as a star in Arizona. And you're getting dangerously close to your quarterback also wanting out. You cannot pick an offensive coordinator who has gone through a number of teams in the NFL with the same shtick and gotten fired for the same reasons of you never developed. The offense got worse. You can't pick him over potentially a Hall of Fame level talent at the most important position in sports. You cannot do that. We would all be saying the exact same thing if Roman was the offensive coordinator for the Bills and we saw the arm talent we had and they saw what was going on with Josh and they decided, and, and they decided nope, we're going to keep running the ball like we are. We kind of did with Tyrod. He was here. You had Tyrod for the first year where we had a great rushing attack. Tyrod had 20 touchdown passes, five picks, had a great deep ball. It staled immediately. It stagnated and it went nowhere. Us as Bills fans should know this more than most, that Roman is consistently stagnant in his offensive game plan and his offensive mindset. I almost gawk at the San Francisco 49ers style of offense because I find it almost gorgeous to watch how they're able to throw in any running back and they get you know running lanes and they work it. But unlike Roman, what the 49ers do is they're able to work in receivers. They're able to work in a passing game. There's a reason why a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo can look like an average to above average quarterback when they plan stuff around him. There's a reason why I think Trey Lance is going to pop with the 49ers this year. It is because... They take what Greg Roman does so well at running the ball and they say, cool, but let's do more. And the Ravens have seemingly found themselves in a situation of, well, we can't fire Greg. Why, how could we do that? 
I don't know, by doing it. By asking him, hey, are we ever going to develop a passing game? Everyone in our division and conference is developing passing games. Are we not going to? Look at Tennessee, the other team that, you know, was a fluky one seed. Got there by running the ball and getting super lucky. Mm, remind anybody of anybody? Not in 2019 Ravens? Out, first round. Gone. No one bought into them. And in 2019, it was the same with the Ravens. As we got closer and closer to the playoffs, everybody started looking at them and going, hmm, not so sure about that. Gone. First game that they played in the divisional round against the Titans. But who keeps surviving? The teams that throw the ball and throw it at a high level that develop passing games, that develop their quarterbacks. It's why I get frustrated with teams like the Bears who have put Justin Fields in seemingly an unwinnable position in just his second year. It's why I like what the Jets are doing with Zach Wilson, a quarterback who has a low floor. He came in with a lower floor than most. But they've loaded that team with talent to the point where, hey, if you can't succeed, it's not on us. I cannot say the same for the Ravens. And Lamar is infinitely more talented than Zach Wilson. He won an MVP with running a gimmick offense. And he's expected to keep doing that. And what? The Ravens are not going to pay him like a great quarterback because, well, we haven't asked you to be a great quarterback. You should be. It's what every great team does. They expect their great quarterback to be a great quarterback. You can add in athleticism. Steve Young, the guy who raved about this last night, was one of the most athletic quarterbacks of his generation, running and throwing. Because when he got with Bill Walsh from Tampa, Walsh developed his passing game. Because that is how you win in the NFL. And somehow, someway in the year of our Lord, 2022, I have to sit here and talk about this. And it feels like I'm talking to a brick wall because Baltimore is just sitting there with smiles on their faces going, what do you mean? We're going to be great. They'll probably make the playoffs. They're a talented team. And in the first round, they'll lose to a young, spunky team with a quarterback who throws the ball at a high level because that team knew that's what you need to do. And Lamar will be sitting there again wondering, when am I going to get a receiver? When am I going to get this offensive coordinator out? Because Lamar is a good guy. He is not going to bash his offensive coordinator openly in the media. But this is where, as a fan, yes, in the media, I would like for just once for someone to say something about the terrible coaching that seemingly infests the NFL at some of the lower levels because it is a revolving door. And yet, it won't. And Lamar will likely have to demand a trade out of there to really, for the NFL and the NFL populace, to really see his full God-given potential. We'll take a quick time out and we come back. I will finally get to the Manti Teo documentary. We'll do that to wrap up the show here on the Nightcap on WGR. Welcome back to the Nightcap here on WGR on a beautiful Friday night. Very quick segment. Ran a little late. So before we go, I do obviously want to make a quick few notes on the Netflix documentary, Untold, talking about the Manti Teo uh, catfish scandal he had his senior year at Notre Dame and kind of the following, you know, few months after the national championship, him getting drafted and stuff like that. 
And it it was eye opening to to see that documentary. I re, I remember the Manti Teo stuff. I remember you know in twenty twelve I was like fourteen. I remember a lot of me and my friends like making jokes. I didn't like Notre Dame either, so it was easy to make fun of you know really the face of that program in Manti Teo. But it was really eye opening to watch and just kind of you felt nothing but sadness for for Manti and and all that he had to go through for something that ultimately he didn't really hurt anybody by doing any of this. And he just became a huge laughing stock. And, and it really like broke my heart a little bit watching it, you know, not to spoil the whole thing. Um, Cause I, I do recommend watching it. If you can, it is a, a brilliantly made documentary. You also get the perspective of the um, person who catfished him as well, which that's a whole other thing. We'll talk more on that. I, I would imagine Monday. We'll also talk about the second preseason game of the bills, but the fact that, Manti, after this whole time, talked about how he wanted nothing but, like, the best for the person and their family. Even after all this, it was it was very eye-opening in, in terms of forgiveness. But the part that really broke my heart was just him talking about early in his life, you know, going to Notre Dame and how he had no anxiety on the football field in high school and college, all that. Like, that's just, that, that was his safe space. That's where he could just be himself, and he loved it. And because of everything that had happened, with the catfish and everything that followed, that football and playing on the field really almost became his own personal hell. And it was it was awful to hear. And and I, I saw somebody, including Jordan Schultz, NFL insider, talk about how, you know, this really did it ruin his NFL career. And, you know, now I would wonder what Manti would be if he came into the NFL now with most teams hiring and really employing psychologists and sports psychologists to really help with the mental health of their players. I wonder how good he could have been because he was a first round talent in every way. And just, he got just sucked into the, the worst circumstances possible. That's going to do it here on the nightcap. Thank you for listening. Have a great weekend. Bills play the Denver Broncos tomorrow at 1 PM. Pre-game starts at 8 AM with Derek Kramer carries into 10 AM with Nate Geary. And they'll take you all the way to kickoff at 1 PM again against the Denver Broncos. Thank you for listening and have a great weekend. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.